This episode was recorded early in the morning last year at the Edinburgh Festival, which I was at for a great friend of mine's stag weekend. This weekend was recorded for Getting Better Acquainted and is available as the Edinburgh Special. This is another episode, like last week's episode, with somebody who I met through FM, which is a website that I did some work for, both me and the person I'm talking to this week were doing some work for, but that website has changed and neither of us are really working with them anymore, although it's all amicable. Uh, it's now become something called the Super Times, which I'm sure I will tell people about more in the future, as and when that develops. But I'll put some links to ZFM and the Super Times in the show notes. If you want to hear about the people who do that website, have a listen to the Abdul and Aisha, or Aisha and Abdul, can't remember which way around I wrote it, episode, which was one of the early ones. I think it's a really good one as well, so have a listen to that. But now, let's not get distracted, let's get back to this episode. I remember my first podcast that I listened to, that must have been oh, 2005 or so, yeah. and they'd already been around for like a year or a couple of years. And at the beginning, everything was very, very rough. And now you listen to podcasts and a lot of them have like studio quality. Yeah. And, but they're still, they're still different. They're still not like radio shows. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Frank. Hello, Frank. Hello. The first question that I ask everyone, which is going to be an interesting one for you, is how did you meet me? Just now, outside this building. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Technically, um, we've met before via Skype and stuff. Yeah, it was a kind of Futurama head in a jar sort of thing. <laughs> where you, you in this case, in, it was my head, which was yeah, on a screen. On a, on a laptop screen in a meeting. Yeah. yeah. So so we know each other through, I think you've already done an episode on this ZFM. Yeah, but we've only really communicated until today. Well, once through Skype, as you say, and through emails. And that would be because I'm in Edinburgh and you're obviously in London. Yeah. So uh, it's nice to hear, well, I've heard your voice actually on, on podcasts and through Skype, but it's nice to see you properly. The other question that I ask people is, what do you do now? Oh, professionally or just however in general? You, however you want to interpret Okay, it. well, I'm a PhD student. I guess it's my defining characteristic um, <laughs> with, with all that entails, including sleeping in. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm here at the University of Edinburgh doing research into both machine learning and systems biology. Wow. <laughs> it it okay. sounds more impressive than it is. Well, that, that's most certainly stuff to unpick through the course of this conversation. I should say as well that the reason that there is a superior standard of sound background sort of noise, no, well, in fact, no background noise, hopefully, is that we're recording in a sound studio in the, uh, in the University of Edinburgh, where you, you normally do your podcasting that you do in this studio, don't you? That's right. The, the university or the School of Informatics has graciously agreed to let us have this, well, not let us have it, but to, to let, uh, let us into this bit, yeah. <laughs> studio uh, and record our podcasts. And in, the, in this case, we got an interview. Yeah. And it's rather futuristic, as you can probably attest. Yeah, it was like walking through a science fiction film with somebody that is involved in artificial intelligence. 
intelligence a little bit. Sort of. So machine you, learning is, right. it's not really classical AI. So it's not um, not the kind of building robots or uh, coming up with Skynet that, that you might imagine. Right. Um, what, what we do in machine learning is actually a lot of statistics right. and a lot of trying to get uh, computers to find patterns in data. Okay. Um, so that is that is a part of what you would need if you were to build an actual AI, but it's not it's not the whole AI. So you're sort of part of many different teams that probably go towards building an artificial intelligence. Among other things, Amongst but other but things. there's a lot of research interest that machine learning can be useful for right now with, without having to be integrated in a greater AI framework. For okay. example, if you have Amazon recommendations. Yeah. So Amazon does some analysis of what you've bought and yeah. then comes up with recommendations, which are maybe not always what you would buy, but it tries. Well, it's, it's normally what you've bought for somebody else, isn't it? That's the only problem That's with the Achilles yeah. heel there. But that kind of system, that recommendation system would be based on machine learning. Oh, okay. So that's one of the possible applications. And, and that's what you, and is that, that's, because I've, I sort of, I've Googled you in advance of this. Uh -huh. to, uh, to, what, what did Google tell you about me? Well, it said that you do adaptive and neural computation at the moment. Is that right? No. <laughs> I'm in the go. Institute. We're testing, we're testing it now. Yeah. yeah, that might be my, my bad uh, my bad Googling, my skim, no, I, skim Googling. I, I think it is misleading because I'm in the Institute for Adaptive and Neural Computation, right. which is part of the School of Informatics. But actually what the Institute does is maybe 50% neural stuff, so neuroscience, computational neuroscience, yeah. and then 50% just pure machine learning, uh. which can be applied to neuroscience, but can also be applied to lots of other things. Okay, so through studying how we make machines, we can also understand how we how brains uh, work. Is yes, right? so this is not my specialist no, subject, but, but I, I can I can talk a little bit about it. So it's it all started way back when with neural networks, yeah. which can refer both to how your brain works, so how the neurons in your brain are connected, but it's also a model which we've based on how the brain works, but a computational model. Okay. So Basically, you code up like a little brain yeah. uh, on the computer, yeah. and then uh, you can use that to do simple tasks like classifying something. Like, for example, if I have this image, does is it of a red apple or a green apple, or is it maybe a pear? Right. So that that kind of thing is where the idea of taking machine learning ideas, inspirations from neuroscience came from, and now it actually works both, both ways. ways now. Yeah. Ah, that's that's really that's really interesting. So yeah, and it, it told me some of your degrees because you've got a few, haven't you? You've got a few, in, in, like you're doing <laughs> not, a, not oh, yeah. that many, you, just a normal amount that you more, have when yeah. you do a PhD. That's right, more, more than me, but not 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 more than not more than the average PhD student. Yeah. But some of the names of your right, so things so were I, artificial intelligence, weren't they? So so my undergraduate degree was artificial intelligence and computer science, yeah. which is a standard degree here at the University of Edinburgh because they're big in in artificial intelligence. So usually, if you study computer science here, you'll get at least some artificial intelligence courses. What made you decide to go into that area? Well, I knew I wanted to go into computer science area. And then I looked at the, what the different universities had to offer. So that was one of the things that attracted me to Edinburgh, because it, I mean, it sounds cool. I mean, yeah. What do you say if, I, if you say I have an, a degree in artificial intelligence? It definitely sounds Even if crazy. I still can't build a robot to yeah. save my life, it's it still sounds good. Well, it's a good way into a chat-up line, I would imagine, <laughs> in some ways. I've never tried it. Maybe you, I should. You should. <laughs> I, think, I think that with the right kind, kind of person, it would, it would work well. And then a lot of the other things that I Googled and that I got uh, about you, I have pretty much no understanding what they mean. Uh-oh. The, the areas that you're currently 
involved in, I believe, at the moment are things like network inference, Bayesian networks, graphical mm-hmm. models, sparse regression. I think I know what graphical models are in that. MCMC and other sampling approaches, dynamic models and ODE systems, and applications of these techniques to ecology and systems biology. Is that right? Yes. All of that? D- do you want me to explain all of these now? Because we might be here a while. We might be here a while. <laughs> well, I think... I mean, that's a sort of taste of the sorts of things that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, um, if, if, if I were to describe it more broadly yeah, than that... Yeah, that's probably where we should go. <laughs> I, I would say that um, basically I'm analyzing data. And but it, rather than doing it myself, I get the computer to do it for me. So it's, it's all about programming the computer to be good at analyzing data. Exactly. In particular, what I'm interested in, as I already mentioned, is systems biology, which is the biology of the cell. Okay. So in the cell, you have your DNA, yes. which contains lots of genes. Each gene can be at any point what is called expressed, which basically means that it gets translated into something in the cell. Right. That something becomes a protein, which then does all the work in the cell. Yes. Okay. So, so where do I come in? Yeah. Because we can sort of measure some of these stages, like if we have sequenced genome, we know uh, which genes there are in your DNA. We can measure, sometimes we can measure the proteins, but we don't know things like if two genes interact, like if their proteins bind, when does this happen? How often does this happen? What effect does this have? Right. So what my analysis of the data wants to do is look at the the data that we can measure, that the biologists have measured, and figure out the other interactions that we can't directly measure. Okay. Right. I'm trying trying to unpick that. Yeah, sorry. No, it's it's fine. It's good. I like, I I really, I mean, it's it's, it's definitely good to to know about stuff like this. It's just just hard to get your head around sometimes. But so you're, you're programming a computer to measure the information that biologists know about genes and to work out the areas that we don't know is that right sort of yeah what usually happens is first step we talk to some biologists and they say we have this data set right and that that data set might for example measure protein concentrations in the cell over several days for example so you have several kinds of proteins some of them go up maybe during the day others go down Okay. So they give us this data and they say, we would like to know more about, so each protein you should know is linked to a gene. So we would like to know something about which of the genes regulate each other so that if one protein is, is expressed, then that will cause another gene to create more of a different kind of protein, for example. Okay. Then, okay, we, we take the data and then I, I have some clever programs which do, this is where the network inference comes from, Okay. Um, which do network inference, which means look at the links between these proteins and genes. Okay. So that, that, that then is the network, these links. Right. So I analyze the, the data with my program. If it, if it works well, I get some kind of network out of it. Yeah. Then we go back to the biologist and we say, does this look at all like something that would make biologically sense? Yeah. And if it does, then we write a paper about it and uh, everybody's happy. <laughs> Most of the time it doesn't, and then we have to figure out why. The main thing that you do really is programming computers. It's the software side of things, is it, rather than the hardware? or? Uh, it's, it's a lot of programming yeah. and some statistics, so actually more theoretical thinking about the, the model that I'm building and then programming that model. Okay. I guess in order to do this sort of thing, you must have a clearly a mathematical and scientific way of seeing the world to to start off with, I guess. 
do you think? Yeah, or, or well, you develop it while you do it, I think. Yeah, so you think, you, think you, you learn these skills rather than have them? Yeah, because, so as I said, I had a computer science background. Yeah. That is actually, surprisingly, not that useful when you go into machine learning. Because in your standard computer science degree, most of the math you're taught is what's called discrete maths. So all about integers because right. that's what computers work with. They work with bits, which are integers, yeah. essentially. Although, you, obviously, you can represent floats and stuff, but usually you don't need to do much calculus. Right. But in machine learning, it's all about calculus because all, all the models that our programs are based on are probabilistic models, which means that they have to deal with uncertainties, and you, you can't really... There's not a lot you can do with integers in uncertainties because you, you need sort of the probability of 0 0.5, 0 0.25. Okay. So you, you came to your area of study from computer science. Have you found it really hard to learn sort of calculus or is it? I had done some calculus, yeah. thankfully. But then there's a lot of things that, that you then get taught. And I actually, before I went into my PhD, I did a, a one-year master's where I, I was taught some more about machine learning and some of the background that I needed. Yeah. Um, and then it's yeah it's a continuous learning process. For example, right now I'm learning about differential equations, which I had maybe encountered once for two hours in one of the lectures. But now I have to know in detail how to solve them and how to integrate quantities out and stuff like yeah. that. When you look at the world, though, I mean, I would imagine that you are somebody that looks at the world and sort of systemizes it. Do you know what I mean? Like, looks at the world and tries to work out how how it all fits together in terms of systems, because that's what you're kind of doing, aren't you, at the moment? I guess sometimes I do that, but I can. I'm not one of those people who applies it to everything in life. Like no. my supervisor is is one of those people. If you ask him how do I get to the restaurant, he treats it as if it's a maths problem. Ah, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I can. I can usually, if if I, if I want to, I can shut it off and just enjoy you like just enjoy like a it. holiday on yeah. the beach yeah. or something. Absolutely. I mean. Hopefully we can all do that a bit. I mean, I think I come at the world from a sort of... I think that writing and writers and creative people also look at the world through systems a lot of the time. Different kinds of systems, narrative systems, and right. sometimes it's, it's intuitive, but it is still feeling out a system. So, like, pacing. And if you make music, there is a certain amount of mathematical precision to some of the things that you do in music. There's a lot more mathematical musicians than I am, certainly, but I've had to learn some of those kind of mathematical skills occasionally mm -hmm. to, to make, you know, to program beats or things like that. Yeah, it's funny that you mention writers because before I went to university, the other sort of option I was playing with was doing a degree in, in English literature or something oh. and going into writing. So it was, it was sort of a toss-up. So I could have ended up on the completely different side of the spectrum, but maybe I would have had a similar approach to it still. I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a crossover and there's a lot of very excellent scientists who are also authors. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Andrew Crummy, have you heard of him? He's, he's mm -hmm. a physicist who wrote a book called Mobius Dick and another book called Sputnik Caledonian, actually. So I think he's a Scotsman. Oh, that's I, I really enjoyed them. I didn't yeah. fully I understand like them, but then I don't mind not understanding things. As long as it sort of makes me feel things, I guess. Yeah, people like Richard Feynman and yeah, um, yeah. Carl Sagan, obviously, they, they, they knew both how to do really good science and how to get it across in an entertaining and understandable way. That sort of brings us very nicely to what the, the other side of what you sort of do at the moment, which is, how, how, do, you, is it, how do you say it? How do you say it? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a continuous problem. If I could change one thing, it would be that name. You say. 
Yusai. Yes. Yusai. It's the Edinburgh University Science, and then you have to fill in the blank. So Yusai can stand for the science magazine, yeah. but it can also stand for the science podcast. And you do, and you're, you're involved with both. I'm involved with both. Yes. And so yeah, and it's it's spelled E U, capitals, uh, capital S. C-I. Exactly. And you can find us at usci.org.uk. Yeah, there we go. Fantastic. <laughs> Usci is about communicating science, isn't it? It is, yeah. So it got started maybe, I think, three or four years ago by a postgraduate from Cambridge who came up to Edinburgh. And in Cambridge, they already had this science magazine that was run by students called Blue Science. So that's kind of where the name comes from. So the E and the U stand for Edinburgh University, even though people don't like it when you call it Edinburgh University because it should be University of Edinburgh. Ah, I see. But we still do it. Uh, <laughs> so she started it pretty much from scratch. Uh, we didn't have a science magazine at the university at all before that. And it's been going ever since. So there's three printed issues per year. At first, as an offshoot of USAI, we started this science podcast. Now it's taken on a life of its own. It's pretty much in parallel with the magazine. <laughs> so you do podcasting. I think Google told me you write and edit. Is that right? That is pretty much right, yeah. So I started off just writing some articles. Then I did editing, which I really liked. So looking at other people's articles, making sure that they fit within the magazine. So what we're aiming for is sort of a new scientist kind of level of science knowledge that you need. Okay. So we don't want to be a, a, a specialist journal where you have to, for each article, like Nature, for each article, you have to be efficient in the field to actually yeah. understand the article. But we don't want to be at the Daily Mail level either. So, okay. so, so new scientists is what sense. we're going yeah, for. Yeah. We also do copy editing, which is slightly different from the editing. Editing is sort of the broad strokes and then yeah. copy editing is grammar, yeah, yeah. Any, any kind uh, of mistakes. My writing always needs a lot of <laughs> copy editing. Yeah, I'm, mine too. I'm, unlike some writers, I'm all for editors. I, I, I really mm. want one. <laughs> Could do with an editor. <laughs> and the other part of it that you do is the podcast side of things, which is, I guess, why we've come into the same sphere of, of reference, really. Isn't That's it? right. Because through podcasting, you found out about what ZFM were doing, I guess. Or how, I mean, how did you find out about what ZFM were doing? Um, to somebody else on the USA podcast, our then producer, uh, Alan Boyd, he was interning because ZFM, I don't know if you know, got started in Edinburgh. Of course, yeah, because they're from they, Edinburgh. They, they're from Edinburgh, yeah. Aisha and Abdel are from Edinburgh, and there's, there's a show dedicated to them and that came out earlier in the series you can reference it there and which number is it oh no i don't know that. <laughs> just thought i put you on the not spot off the top of my head so alan boyd was interning with them because he's a physics i think physics major it's like i'm in, in the u.s suddenly <laughs> he has a physics degree so he told them about usai and then when they were looking for curators they sent us an email and oh. i think i was the only one who was interested in participating in extra work yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i know i know was, yeah. was silly enough to take on extra work yeah yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm the same kind of person i'm always taking on extra projects and then thinking why have i done this but i'm enjoying them anyway so the usai podcast i do a bit of everything because we, we we all share the tasks so sometimes i do the hosting yeah but which, yeah which i've is heard the, you on there <laughs> Yes, uh, which is the guiding voice. But then we also have smaller segments where we have like a little report. So we call these correspondent pieces. So somebody will read up or talk to a scientist about their research and then come 
back in the studio and talk to the host about it and thereby convey it to our listeners. So I, I do that from time to time. And then maybe what I do a bit more than most of the other people is do interviews. Right. I think, again, just because I like the extra work. <laughs> so, for example, last year, around about this time, we had the Science at the Fringe special episode of the podcast, which in which we interviewed people like Robin Ince. Yeah, you, you interviewed Robin Ince, was that right? Or was it yeah, me and, me and John interviewed uh, Robin that's right. I, yeah, I remember hearing your voice in that. How do you find interviewing as a thing to do? It's it's both harder and easier than I thought. It's easier to get people to actually agree to doing interviews than I thought it yeah, would be. Yeah, I found that as well. Yeah. It's really surprised me. I guess everybody's flattered when somebody actually wants to hear what they're saying. Yeah, I guess so. It's hard in the sense that... I don't know about you, but I always have to to take a lot of notes beforehand so I don't run out of things to ask. Mm. Uh, and while you're doing it, you have to really be on the ball. And you In have the to, moment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you, have, you have to already be thinking. While somebody's talking, you have to be thinking about the next question already. But paying attention to what they're saying. But still paying attention, yeah. which I find personally find quite hard to do, but... No, I know what you mean. I find it hard to do as well. But I, I, really, I really enjoy it, though. I really enjoy mm-hmm. the kind of... Uh, the uncertainty of what's going to happen, you know. It, it is, yeah. It's 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 not because when we do the studio recordings, we already know what we want to talk about, and we have we have notes, and the the host knows what he's going to ask. So although we don't script, I, I should say we don't script the podcast. So if it sometimes sounds a bit like we improvise it, it's because some of them of it we do improvise, but um, we know what we're going to talk what, about. Why, why have you made that choice? I mean, st- I'm not I'm not criticizing it. I'm just no, no. We we started off scripting it. I, I think it's because we weren't able to convey the scripts in a lively manner yeah. um, because we don't have the training. Yeah. Maybe if we were BBC trained or something, we could be doing that. They're good at it, aren't they? But I, I, yeah, I find it really hard to deliver. I've tried to, occasionally I've scripted bits and bobs yeah. for things and, and, and it's really hard to make it sound exactly, natural. Yeah. Like if I have scripts uh, at all, I will always improvise around them, I think. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because there's another podcast here at the University of Edinburgh called the Computer Science Podcast, which is a really good podcast. I can also recommend it. They, I think they script like 90% of their podcast and it, it still sounds mostly really professional yeah. and, and not at all like they're reading it off. So it can definitely be done. Just we decided to go with the more spontaneous track. I think it's, uh, it's also podcasts are an interesting thing because, because people do talk more naturally on them. You know, it's it's a, it's kind of a new form that's growing, and that, so the, the idea of conversational, rather than rather than like you say, high, highly scripted, is, is is much more common on podcasts than it is. That's on true. The radio. I went on a science media training course organized by Gareth Mitchell. Maybe you know him. He's, he's he does the Digital Planet show on on BBC. Don't ask me which radio. So so there we actually got to experience actually making a radio program in a professional setting in a BBC studio in Glasgow. It's a completely different experience to recording a podcast. I bet, yeah. So it, it helps to have some experience with standing in front of a microphone, but it's, it's still quite different. Yeah, podcasts are a different beast. I think they're, they're, they're very interesting, mm-hmm. but uh, and I'm you know fascinated in, in, in how they're going to develop and what's going to happen with them. I'm very interested to see how, where they go. Yeah, it's funny because I remember my first podcast that I listened to, that must have been... 2005 or so and they'd already been around for like a year or a couple of years and at the beginning everything was very very rough and now you listen to podcasts and a lot of them have like studio quality and 
but they're still they're still different. They're still not like radio shows. Well, I think what's generally happening is they're improving sound quality and learning how to to do that that side of things better, and often yeah. learning how to edit things better. But they are trying to keep some of that spontaneity. I yeah. mean, one of the things I think is interesting about podcasts is they can kind of go into spaces that the media don't go into. So we've we've getting better acquainted. I'm recording in people's houses and you mm-hmm. know, or in their like like here's your I'm I've come into where where you uh, make your podcasts, and so yeah. it, it, it can get in and out of different places that you you wouldn't normally you wouldn't normally be in. And I think that's the sort of thing that that, that people like about it. It's very intimate, and they've got their headphones on, so it's sort of it's <laughs> yeah, a very personal thing that they can develop with it strangely I made a podcast before I'd ever heard a podcast because a friend of mine asked me to write a drama series for him to release as a podcast and I thought that would be fun I like to, to write and oh. uh, there was an outlet for it and there might be audience members for it and I, I made it and we put it out mm. and we ended up getting nominated for a Sony uh, radio award in best internet category which is crazy that's numbers and that's on www.rethinkdaily.co.uk but I hadn't heard podcasts then mm-hmm. and I was sort of I was like, well I'm, I'm making this thing for these people that listen to podcasts but I don't really know who they are and then you know all of a sudden I think that's how it goes you, you hear your first podcast don't you and, and then, then you, you go, hear more oh wow and then you look and you start searching and the next yeah. thing you know you, you, you list I mean I, I listen to so well we have to for, for ZFM anyway right. but luckily I already did um, <laughs> listen to so many podcasts there's always too many out of there I think oh. I have like a hundred unlistened un- yeah me too ones, yeah. yeah that's the thing I mean I'm lucky in that I have a lot of commuting in my week oh, so yeah. I, I, I get to listen to a lot of podcasts just as a result of that yeah no I, I have like a 20 minute walk to to work that's about all the time I have so so when do you listen to podcasts yeah so on, on the way to work and doing chores is, is the other chores is excellent yeah and suddenly suddenly you actively want to do chores <laughs> exactly. oh yeah I'll do the washing up tonight yeah definitely uh, <laughs> no yeah, problem God, great. where's my great. iPod yeah exactly I mean it's quite hard for podcasters as well because every time you say I make a podcast people often say what's a podcast yeah I think the name is unfortunate. Yeah. Like like the name you say, the name podcast is unfortunate because it makes you think of iPods. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think if I don't have an iPod or an iPhone, I can't listen to podcasts. Yeah, there's that. And then there's people who don't like Apple, the company, and they, they're put off it by that. And then there's... And, then, and also, I think it, it, it sounds quite strange and futuristic. Uh, yeah. And so people who aren't really into computers too much they yeah. go oh uh, that's not for me I won't and, and it's you know it's, it is relatively simple to download a podcast I mean you just need to have you know iTunes or some kind of similar thing and and and, and, and click on the right things but people don't always embrace new things yeah. initially do they and there's, so there's early adopters which I'm not but I, as soon as I had as soon as I got into podcasts it's become a lot of my life you know mm-hmm. and I'm making podcasts and I'm obsessed <laughs> with podcasts I also think yeah. it's still lacking like a good platform because I don't I mean iTunes is okay yeah um, but it's not it's not perfect no I don't like it that yeah. much yeah and I think okay the, the big thing obviously now is apps I've looked at a few of the podcasting apps you're right a, a platform and uh, a filter there's so many podcasts out there So there are indeed, as I was just saying, so many podcasts out there. And as Frank was saying, apps might be the best way for you to get them. I found that Stitcher Smart Radio, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, in fact, 
is a really excellent way of getting my podcasts that I want to consume. It's free. You download it onto your smartphone and then you tell it which podcast you want to stream and then it's all done. And many radio shows are available as podcasts. So with Stitcher, you can create your own kind of streaming radio station and carry it around in your pocket that's made up from both established radio programmes that are released on BBC or NPR and independent podcasts like Getting Better Acquainted and the other show that I do, Stand Up Tragedy. Both of those are available on Stitcher now. So if you want to listen to Getting Better Acquainted on the go, you want to listen to it on your smartphone, you want a really simple and easy way of doing it, then download Stitcher Smart Radio from the App Store. Okay, there is a downside. Some podcasts and radio shows that you might like aren't on Stitcher yet. But the upside is that a hell of a lot of them are. And significantly, and importantly, getting better acquainted is. So, I'm not getting any money from Stitcher yet. I may do in the future. There are ways that I'm looking into. But for the minute, this is just a very genuine suggestion or recommendation of a great platform that I've found for listening to podcasts because the easier it is for you to listen to the podcasts the easier it is for you to listen to this show and I think this show is great and should be listened to by more people and hopefully you do too so if you know anybody that you want to recommend this show to who's a a bit iffy about the idea of iTunes or a bit iffy about the idea of podcasts or whatever and that person has also got a smartphone of some kind like an iPhone or Android or any of the other uh, ones because Stitcher is pretty much across the board then you can say to them hey download Stitcher then you can get getting better acquainted really easily and loads of other stuff so great all right I'll stop interrupting my own show now and here we go back to the conversation you were saying to me earlier, well, just before we, we turned the mic on, about editing interviews that you sometimes edit from, you know, 40 minutes down to seven minutes. How do you do that? <laughs> With great difficulty. I can't really tell you how to do it because every, every interview is different. different. Um, I think the, the best advice that anyone can give for cutting down is you have to kill your darlings. Yes. So even if you really, really like something, maybe that is sometimes even more of a reason to cut it. If you're really attached to it, you can't see clearly. You can't see clearly if this is really a good thing oh, to go into the podcast. True. That's true. It's interesting as well because it depends what your kind of end purpose is as well. So yeah. you're doing an information podcast about science. Yeah, we haven't really described it, have we? No, no. So, so the, the USI podcast is really current science that's in the news that particular week. We're going to present it and then we're going to discuss it as we would discuss it among ourselves. So we usually have a meeting before we record the podcast where we talk about all the science stories that we've come across that week. And then out of the discussions that we have during that meeting, the podcast starts to take form. And then in the middle of the podcast is where we usually have either an interview or maybe a, a more in-depth discussion on a particular topic. And then we end on a lighter note with a bit of silly science usually. Uh, there is always more than enough to chicken choose from. And, and finally kind of section. Exactly. Your purpose with USI is to communicate ideas of, about science to your audience. Yeah. So if you've got an, an interview with someone, you've got like a primary thing 
to sort of focus your editing on. You're cutting down for clarity, you're cutting down for science information. And so in those sorts of situations, killing your darlings might be highly desirable because that might be, oh, I really like that joke that the guy made or something like that, which isn't necessarily going to take on your purpose. You know? Yeah, yeah. Usually it's not actually that difficult because what we sometimes do is when we have a, a very long interview that's good, we do cut it down, but then... We release it later on as a full episode. As a full episode. And we stole this from the Guardian Science podcast. We right. do that all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you talk to somebody and they only have 10 minutes. So, yeah. so then you don't have a problem because you're just going to talk for 10 minutes anyway. With this podcast, as I was saying, I mean, before we turn the mic on, I mean, because it, it's a long form conversational podcast, the editing is pretty minimal. Although it still takes quite a while to do. I think people don't really understand how long it takes to edit even even just lightly edit audio i don't know how the people who do video podcasts do it oh god because so much work yeah because with video editing you can't just cut out things and and have it still work at least with sound you can if if i say something something's profane yeah um you can just cut out the the offending word like yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say f now, and you probably take that out. Well, actually, I don't. But, you don't? Uh, no, Damn it. It's an explicit Damn podcast. it, no, it's on tape. Well, I can, anyway. I, can, I can cut it out if you'd like. I can beep it out if you prefer. Just, just, so, just, just to show. Yeah, um, it, won't, I'll, it won't make too much of a difference no, to the well, sentence. I'll, I'll beep it out, though. I mean, that's one of the things I'm... I mean, when somebody comes on a show, they might not necessarily be as you know happy to swear as other people, so I'm happy yeah. to present people the way they want to be presented. But, I mean, a lot of the time when I'm editing sound for this show... If I'm, if I'm cutting out a gap or an arm or something like that or a sentence that trails off and doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. you know I'll cut that part of the wave file mm-hmm. and then kind of crossfade the two ends so exactly, that you, yeah, yeah. you won't be able to hear that there's a cut yeah our producer has to do a lot of that for the podcast because sometimes we're not as coherent as we come across in the finished product well no I mean and, and even in, in getting better acquainted I make people a little bit more and myself a lot generally myself <laughs> more eloquent than I, than I was at the time uh-huh. but I mean I've done other podcasts that have been much more labour intensive and uh, it's, it's I've, I've found it's very it's very frustrating because you, you know if you you spend hours and hours and hours of your time cutting down you know four hours of material to a half hour of material and people still say you could have you could have edited that better (laughs) there's a bit there's a bit too much filler in there you know that that bit was boring why didn't you cut that bit and you're like well i don't know you know there's got to be a point where you (laughs) stop uh but yeah (laughs) you have a hard to pronounce surname <laughs> now I think that's probably well I think I, I know that you're not originally from the UK is that right that is right yes. I suspect that your surname is a key to where you might be from but I don't know it, it is I'm... but you'd have to have some pretty specialist knowledge to guess it from my surname okay so and, and so it's very hard to, to spell surname which is I don't even know how to say it Don Delid Dillinger? Is that Don oh, Dillinger? Well, almost. It's Don Dillinger, actually. Don, Dil- Don Dillinger. Yeah. That's, it sounds pretty cool, though, when, <laughs> when you say it out loud. Don Dillinger. Yeah. So you want to know where it's from? Yeah, where is it from? Yes. It's a Luxembourgish name. Ah. So I'm from Luxembourg originally. Yeah. I see. You came to the UK when you came to uni? or? Before? Yes, yes. I, I, I decided that I wanted to study... Well, essentially, I decided I wanted to study in an English-speaking country because I really like the language. And so... 
the UK is closest. So, but Scotland is maybe not closest. But I wanted to go to Edinburgh because yeah. it's it's a really nice city. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Is Luxembourg quite a, a beautiful city? It's picturesque. Yeah, it's yeah. not as you can probably imagine. It's not the the biggest city. We don't have that much of a nightlife either. But in terms of if you're just visiting, it's really beautiful. And we don't have a castle. We do have some. Uh, remnants of a fortress and stuff like that. In a way, you've come to an equally picturesque place, but maybe with a bit more light nightlife. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go to big city. I'm not a big city kind of person. It's like yeah. London, it's nice to visit, but I wouldn't stay there. I know what you mean. I live on the out, not on the outskirts, but I live in a part of London that doesn't feel too much like London. Okay, so, uh, yeah. you can have your London cake and, 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 eat, and it, eat it. Yeah. You spoke English before you came, I guess. Because nearly everybody does who isn't English, who is, you know, <laughs> every other country speaks English. Yes, unless you're French, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they speak English, they, they just refuse to, they to do it. They don't to want to do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we get taught quite a lot of languages because in Luxembourg we have three official languages. Oh, that's right. One of them is Flemish, one of them. Is that no. Right? No, I'm just making that up. <laughs> so, so the three languages are German. Right. French yeah. and Luxembourgish. That's right, because Luxembourg is, is on the borders of lots of countries, we have, isn't it? Well, three countries. We have Germany to the east, yeah. France to the west, and then to the north we have Belgium. That's right. And it's not too far. For, you have to go through Belgium or through France, but it's not too far to the Netherlands either. What is Luxembourg like to live in? We have generally very high standard of living, like the Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Okay, I have to go back in history a bit because we used to have a big steel industry. In the 60s, a lot of money was made from exporting steel. Then this, the, the iron ore ran out because we had all this money, we invested it in banks. So now generally the, the GDP is quite high and, oh, okay. and that means we, we get a lot of social benefits and stuff. So you, so you went from there where you already knew English because you know lots of languages. Mm -hmm. And you came here partly because you like the English language. I thought I was doing a nice link there, but actually I have to change it slightly because we're in Scotland. <laughs> so you came and you spoke English, you came to Scotland. What's Scotland like? It's... Hmm, it, it's different. I like the Scottish mentality, I guess. Like, the, 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 they, they, they can be a bit gloomy sometimes, <laughs> but it's a, a nice kind of gloomy, at least here in Edinburgh. They're very friendly to outsiders and uh, even, okay, maybe not the fringe people that come up, but um, <laughs> even, the, even the students are, are, are tolerated and, and, and people help you out. Like, when I first came here, I didn't know where anything was and a lot of people were very helpful in pointing me in the right direction. Well, that's good. I guess the, the diet is a bit... Um, dodgy sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but then you don't have to especially here in Edinburgh you, you can you can get all kinds of food so you don't have to uh, eat haggis every day and you're constantly speaking English now um, do you think in English when you're here or? yes most of the time yeah for example my dad when he calls I have to often think longer about how do I say this in Luxembourgish then I would have to think about how do I say it in English yeah I know a lot of people from other countries yeah. who, who've lived in the UK for a long time say that it's an interesting thing because kind of language is uh, language has an effect on the way that you think I think um, I, I mean I guess that's something that is transferable to probably in terms of what you do with computers that the, the way the way you program something yeah oh yeah, yeah have an effect on how this is you can think works. of it that way yeah because yeah what programming language you choose often dictates how you build it there's also people i should say here at the informatics firm who are doing research into computational linguistics and they're looking at things like that like how does the vocabulary or the language shape the way you understand it like yeah. how do the semantics and the grammar and everything interlink you sort of are 
using a different language program to experience the world around you than what I guess you 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 originally had I mean did, have you noticed a change in the way that you think because that's not, something I always want to ask people not consciously yeah I don't I, I really don't know because I've been speaking English for quite a while so I learned it in high school yeah and I don't know how long I've been thinking in English but it, <laughs> yeah. it must have been also at least since I started university which was seven years ago I guess I might be a different person if I didn't speak English, but then if you don't speak English, you miss out on a lot of culture as well. So, yeah, so that alone would make you a, diff a different person. English is kind of a key to a lot of other countries as well. That's the other thing. Recently, I was in Spain for a conference in Valencia, yeah. and Spanish people are not as proficient in English. Maybe it's an elective thing in, in, in high school, or maybe they only have a couple of years. So I had to rely on my Spanish, which is, which is a couple of years in high school that... I never really got fluent in. So I've gotten a new appreciation of, of how difficult it is to be in a country where you don't speak the language. Yeah. And I found that that was really disorienting. When you go up and you want an ice cream and you don't even know how to say ice cream. It's a rare experience that I've had of that. Because everywhere I've gone that's not been the UK, everybody's just, they've just spoken English. Oh, yeah. Uh, even when I've been trying to speak other languages to them, they've refused and spoken English <laughs> to me. I guess when I was 15, I went to Japan on a school exchange trip. And although all the kids my age spoke English perfectly, the adults didn't. And they all wanted to speak English with me because they wanted to improve oh, their English. I see, yeah. But I, I had that sense then of that disorientation. Of, because with with Japanese, there's not even the European letters. You know, yeah, you, exactly. You, know, you, you look at a menu, you've got no it, yeah. idea what the hell is going on. I mean... It, I mean, Japanese is an amazingly complicated language. I, I tried to study it. My problem with languages is I, I tried to study too many and, <laughs> and never studied any of them for long enough. Yeah. But, uh, but Japanese was an amazingly complicated language in that my Japanese teacher told me that you can't really read a newspaper till you're about 25 in, J in J Japan because there's three alphabets and then there's oh. these symbols that are words. And so oh, the, right. yeah. the, the newspaper will have those... Those, we use those symbols that are words, so everything... So to get, to get a base vocabulary, yeah. you actually have to learn each word individually as a, to, to, as a for symbol. reading. Yeah, as a symbol. But probably that has a big effect on the way that they experience the world, because they, they it's you yeah, know, it structured in a... And they read in the opposite way as well, which mm -hmm. is, again, I think that probably has an effect. I don't know, I don't know what the effect <laughs> is, but I'm always interested to try and find out when I can. Uh, okay. Did you run out of questions? Well, um, that's a funny thing. I was, I was, I was, I was going to go back to that. Actually, I was going to say, well, luckily, I've not, I've not run out of questions. <laughs> when you were talking about notes, I mean, I do make notes for these episodes, mm -hmm. but I also try to leave areas to sort of improvise around. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the time, I, I sort of follow leads that come up as and when. But I, I do know exactly what you mean about running out of things because that's that's always my, my constant yeah, it's, fear. Yeah. It depends very much on who you're talking to because sometimes when I do an interview I'll have so so usually what I what what I have is I say one page of questions in, in sixteen points font. Sixteen points because I want to be able to read them easily. Yeah. Is twenty minutes. But sometimes, I, I, if if the person is very very succinct, I can get to it in ten minutes. Yeah. And sometimes I'll talk to them, and and, and then at the end we'll we'll have gone for an hour. Sometimes I'll, I'll I'll write down so many things for somebody, and I'll sit there, and like you say, they'll they'll, they'll just go through them. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll basically 
sort of ask the questions and they'll just say oh yeah that's that's right that happened to me and you know you want what what in this kind of a, a show you're looking for people to expand to on your, around <laughs> your points but then sometimes i'll have you know one question that will last the whole hour you know oh, yeah. i mean that's part of the nature of this beast what i was going to ask you is we are currently recording this when the Edinburgh Festival is on. Mm -hmm. Living in Edinburgh, how do you find the experience of the festival happening? I'm ambivalent. <laughs> I, I, I like... So there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of parts of the festival that I like, especially the, the Fringe Festival yeah. uh, with all the free comedy acts. So last year I went to see Helen Arney, uh, who plays the ukulele, Robin Ince, uh, Helen Keane. So, so I like those parts, the going to the shows. But then um, all those people... I, I, I guess you get a bit um, territorial when you live in a place for, 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 for some certain amount of time. So now I consider myself almost like a local yeah, and, and all those all those tourists come. Um, and my girlfriend lives on the Royal Mile. Ah, that must be hell in the in That the is because they have the tattoo at the castle, obviously. So every night at, I think, five o'clock, they start queuing up outside. And you have somebody with a megaphone going, the queue is that way. Everybody with a ticket, please go that way <laughs> for like half an hour. And then they go up to the castle and then you hear the, the booms of the cannons and of the the firework. They even have a jet that, that, that kind of strafes the, the castle yeah. every night or at least in the weekends. Yeah, and it lasts until 11 o'clock. So, so there's no going to sleep before almost midnight and in the Royal Mile at this time of the year. Because that's what I was thinking. I've never been to Edinburgh when it's not been the festival. So, oh, so, so you don't even... So, so for me, yeah. the city is always it's alive always like with all this crazy stuff going <laughs> on and everywhere you go, there's a uh, uh, there's a venue and there's something mm -hmm. happening and it's really exciting and I love that but I wouldn't love that if I lived here I don't think because I would be like oh I want to yeah. just live my normal life but it's 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 <clears> only <throat> the center really down where I live well halfway between here and the other uh, university campus mm. which is slightly outside the city it, it's it's actually quite quiet there's no tourists that come down that way it's just the Royal Mile and the Princess, Princess Street that, that yeah, get all the, get tourists. All the tourists yeah. oh and the book festival is on so I, I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction, so uh, Neil Gaiman, I don't know if you know him. I know him very well. well yeah. I don't know him personally, unfortunately, but I, yeah, I know him. Yeah, he wrote the Sandman comic books. And, and, and uh, oh, American Gods, which is yes. one of my favorite fantasy works. He's going to talk about that. I think, I, think it's, yeah, I think it is actually American Gods. He's going to have a conversation with somebody about American God. Fantastic. Well, I think that that's that's my, in my opinion, that's his best book. Although the Sandman comics do come quite quite close, to it, but yeah. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I'm not sure if I would call it his best book. I think well, I think you, some of the other ones are. What's your favorite? One that I really like. Maybe it's not his best book, but one that I really like is his early. His I think it's maybe it's even his first book. I hope I don't get this wrong. I think it's called Neverwhere. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah it was, and it's it was, about it was, it's all about London and a second reality where all the tube station names have a have a literal meaning so like yeah. the earl's court would actually be the court of an earl yeah or the, and there's there's blackfriars and there's at the, the angel is listening to there's, there's an, an actual angel, angel yeah i mean it, it I, I like never wear the book it's okay well I, no there was a it was it started as a tv series yeah and i loved that I didn't like the book as much as the, t as oh, the, as the series. Oh, I see. Yeah, and part of it is I guess as well depends which you do first. Came to you first, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I think I think I just think it was. It's a great idea, but I would. I, I don't know. As a writer, I'm like I would have explored that a little bit more and done stuff differently. Whereas with American Gods, I'm like, 
it's just perfect there's, there's nothing I would change mm. but, but I mean you know everybody has a different opinion about these things that's the uh, the, the joy and the pain of uh, trying <laughs> to talk about like anything kind of artistic yeah. around that, at this point in the show I asked people if they've got anything that they'd like to plug and we've kind of covered some of what you were plugging really we've covered the USAI podcast usai.org.uk yeah. that's right and there, and there was another podcast in the in the uni that you said that was good oh okay it's not it's not my podcast but it's really good it's computersciencepodcast.com right um, and that is students of the school of informatics just talking about all things computer science it can sometimes get quite technical so you should probably be interested in computer science already to to listen to it but it's really it's it's quite fun brilliant and is there anything else that you want people to know about or to go and visit online or in reality Not, not that I can think of right now. I don't okay. have a website as such, other than my professional yeah. PhD website. The thing I Google. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Uh, I'm shocked to discover for once I'm on time. Oh, uh, wow. No, normally, hmm. normally I'm sort of, you know, around 55 minutes. That's the sort of, no, well, no, about 50 minutes. Then I ask another question and then... We're over time. <laughs> Whereas this time I seem to have pretty much managed to be relatively bang on. Well done. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm impressed uh, with myself. It's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you. And the thing, the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. <laughs> okay, um, you want me to say goodbye in Luxembourgish? You can, that sounds fun. Eddie. <laughs> yeah, well, I was Ed, how'd you say it? Eddie. Eddie. Yeah, I had, to, I had to think now what was the most appropriate form to say goodbye because there's more formal ways. Ah, but that's the yeah, much informal. Bye. So, Eddie, everyone, <laughs> bye bye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.